This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Dr. Dawn on Careers. Welcome to Dr. Dawn on Careers, your personal career coach on SiriusXM Business Radio, channel 132. Hey, every week we're live on Thursdays, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, taking your calls at 844-942-7866. I'm Dr. Dawn Graham. In my day job, I lead career coaching for the executive MBAs at the Wharton School. I'm also a licensed psychologist, former corporate recruiter, and author of the book Switchers, How Smart Professionals Change Careers and See Success. Dion and Dana in studio today. They always make this show run so smoothly, and we have so much fun. So if you're just tuning in, we are live right now, 844-942-7866. And guess what? Today's special guest, it's always you. We are here to take your calls all hour. So if you're struggling with a job search or career question, give us a call on Dr. Dawn on Careers so we can help you out. And we also are very fortunate to have a very special guest with us today. Sean Burke is the Associate General Counsel at the University of Pennsylvania and co-host of the show Help Wanted on Sirius XM 132, which is on same time, 12 noon on Tuesday. So we'll be talking to him in just a moment to talk about sticky work situations. But before that, let's talk about what's going on in the news. Just when you thought they'd run out of biases... In the hiring process, here's another. If you've got a regional accent, you're likely to earn a fifth less than your colleagues with relatively neutral accents, according to research from the universities of Chicago and Munich. A professor of sociolinguistics at Queen Mary University of London said accents not only influence the kind of roles people have, but can impact your chances of promotion, too. While it might be difficult to generalize the the findings of the study, what it does is it brings attention to yet another thing that we're getting biased against in the interview. If you are somebody who feels like they've experienced this, let us know. 844-942-7866. So speaking of challenges in the workplace, we're going to go to you, Sean. What do you think about this, this study about bias on regional accents? Um, well, good afternoon. Thanks for having me here. My, uh, I had not heard of that study before, but my reaction is that I'm disappointed but not surprised. And there's a lot of evidence that people form impressions of job applicants, of candidates, of other people in virtually all social contexts within three to seven seconds. And uh, it's not surprising to me that there are biases that exist for regional accidents, uh, accents. I would be interested to know, though, which accents tend to skew people's beliefs in which ways. Anecdotally, I would not be surprised to find out that British accents tend to suggest someone is smarter, irrespective of actual fact. Mm -hmm. Anecdotally, I would not be surprised to find out that people believe that Southern accents tend to be discriminated against, or, or rather that people do tend to have a negative bias with respect to Southern accents. Yeah, it's so interesting how we stereotype everything. We do. And this is the way the brain works. This is where I I love talking about the psychology of the job search because this is what we talk about when we talk about unconscious bias, about, you know, somebody has a different accent than you. So you make an assumption whether whether it's 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 correct or incorrect and most of the time it's probably incorrect based right. on what you've learned based on what is going through the filters of your brain and this happens all the time but in in your world where you deal with legal issues there's also a lot of um, biases that aren't so unconscious oh sure in the hiring process for sure there are, and by and large biases are smart employers almost always try to figure out ways to avoid biases that can't be eliminated entirely but there are lots of different strategies that employers can do in, in the interview process to try to eliminate biases and groupthink. And just to give you, uh, you know, kind of a rough illustration of some of those things, one of the things that, and I do this in training with some of our groups here on campus when they're interviewing job applicants or applicants for um, slots in student classes, go through and set up a set of questions in advance so that, um, the, that interviews are not unstructured. 
but rather they're following a set of scripted questions so that different candidates are getting the same sets of questions, and then use targeted bullet points to analyze the responses and see if those responses you're getting match up to the bullet points. The opposite framework, the unstructured interview, is worse than worthless. And there are still many companies that that do this, uh, regrettably. But what, many. Many. <laughs> but what, what the evidence really shows is that unstructured interviews are just opportunities for the interviewer to end up imprinting his or her biases onto the responses that um, are provided by the subject. And the interviews also even sort of go off in the wrong direction. They end up talking about personal preferences, and, and it really um, tends to cause the interviewer to replicate himself or herself in the in the candidate selection, which is really what you don't want. Yeah. And there's so much research on this, Sean. I'm so glad you brought it up. We talk a lot on Dr. Dawn on Careers about how most hiring managers are not trained. And this is not meant right. to be a slam. The fact is their day job is not interviewing. It's not recruiting. They have a line role where they right. are not trained to interview. And, and I often ask this in audiences where I teach. I say, how many people have hired? Everybody raises their hand. How many people have actually gotten eight hours of some kind of interview training? No one raises their hand right. or very few. And so, right. so I tell candidates, look, you have got to prepare. You have got to prepare for the interview as if you're going to be asked terrible questions, you're not going to be asked what you think you're going to be asked, and you have to leave on the table what you want to leave on the table regardless of what you're asked. So so if the, if the only question you're asked is tell me about yourself, you should have a great answer that makes the interviewer want more. If, right. If, it's yeah. great advice because not only, you know, so I sometimes will be advising persons who are doing the interviews, look, here's what you have to do in order to steer this in the right direction, not only to avoid liability. That's kind of the, the advice they expect from a lawyer and, and it tends to deaden the conversation a bit, but also to say, this is how you're going to get the best candidates. Mm-hmm. You need to get your biases out of it. And you need to try to get a diverse or heterogeneous pool of, of people into your workforce. There's research that indicates there are benefits to having uh, yep. diversity within a working group and within a team. Um, but it, it's so important for the people who come to interviews to understand that not everybody's going to be up to speed on that mm-hmm. when they sit down in the interview session and they need to be ready to take an unstructured interview in the way that they want it to go to make sure that they get on the record what they want to have in that interview. Exactly. It's good advice. Exactly. Which is exactly why you get questions like if you were going to be an animal, what animal would you be? A lot, right? And I have an answer for that. For anybody who gets asked that question, here's your answer. A duck. And here's why. Because a duck can go on water, land, and fly. And that makes you very agile. You can't go wrong with that answer. You just can't. 844-942-7866. You're listening to SiriusXM 132. This is Dr. Dawn on Careers. We're going to go right to the phone. Because as always, it's open call Thursday. Teresa in New Jersey, welcome to the show. What's on your mind today? Uh, yes, uh, thank you so much for taking my call. And this is actually the first time I'm listening to your Welcome. show. Welcome, welcome. Yes, thank you. And I have a question. I am a nurse practitioner, and I work in uh, a cardiology, and I do a holistic approach, a whole person approach and well-being approach. And I'm looking to transfer that into social media and to try to gain Um, With social media, this is where I get stuck. I'm trying to gain not only a following to give the information out because I think it's so important for people to know how to take care of themselves and how we could be healthy and things like stress that promote disease, how we could manage stress. But I'm also looking at then how would I kind of parlay that into something that could be the rest of my career? Yeah, great question. I love the work you do. Teresa, do you have a website? I do. It's um, www dot, and then it's all spelled out well, W-E-L-L, being, B-E-I-N-G, gal.com. Fantastic. Well, that's, that's step web- one. Call National Radio and get them to ask you your website. But So you've done that. You can check uh-huh. that box. <laughs> and so the, the next thing is one, I love that you have, have a career that it, you've 
picked certain things out of it that you want to transition in different ways because you clearly have the experience, you have the credibility, and likely you have the connections because you've been working as a nurse practitioner for, for a number of years. So, so you kind of have the foundation. So the next step is, and the great thing about social media is that you can do it while you're still working and getting a paycheck. So you don't just have to make the leap and jump right into that. And I, I will say, honestly, um, social media can be tough. It's tough to build up followers and it does take time. It takes consistency. You have to build trust with them. You have to understand what platforms your audience is on. So, so step one, first and foremost, I would say define your audience. Who is your audience, Teresa? Who, who's the core that you're going to be marketing to? My marketing, what I'm looking at is I'm looking at anywhere f- people from the, from people from teenagers, I would say all the way through and past middle age. I would say even up to 60s, well, I'm in my 60s, so I should say that, but up to 70s, <laughs> yes. uh, people, <laughs> people that could still turn things around. Yep. Because in cardiology, what I see is people see wellness and illness is two different things and they come to me and say fix me give me medication well that's not what always helps if you could start to look at your health and look at stress and look at how to manage stress and you know um, joy and happiness and you know staying away from negative feelings you're helping yourself be healthy. So yeah, amen, the sister. You are, you're preaching to yeah, the choir. Um, I, I, I buy into all of this, especially in today's world. There's a lot of stress because we all have social media. and A lot of it is more stress-inducing than probably your website, which does the opposite. Here's what I'm going to say. Um, okay, I totally agree that this advice can be helpful from you know birth through your 150th year. But I think to get started, it's really helpful to create what I call a customer avatar. And that means that you create something that is kind of your ideal customer. And it might exclude some people, but that's okay because, you know, the age-old marketing advice in business, if you market to everyone, you market to no one. So you kind of want to find your your niche. And you mentioned cardiology, and maybe that is a specialty that you have that you, you start with. And you look at who's being impacted the most by cardiology issues. And, you know, should that be my audience? The other thing, you can look at is where do you have connections right now? So maybe you have connections to certain hospitals or certain specialists, and you can use this niche as a way to eventually grow and expand outside of that. But but you kind of have to start somewhere with a following. And people want to follow somebody who they feel gets them and not not everybody. Sean, do you want to chime no, it in just on sounds, that? sounds great advice to me, and I'm not a career counselor, but if I could just offer a couple thoughts. Um, it sounds like the the ideal customer for you is the kind of person who may have family risk factors for cardiological health issues but hasn't yet developed any disease because you're trying to get the message out that so much of how you act in your 30s and 40s is going to determine your health in your 50s and 60s. Maybe one other suggestion I would make just working in the healthcare field as I have for the last 15 years or so is use some of the contacts you have in professional societies and professional organizations perhaps to deliver presentations, build content, and then you can get that up on the web and content will really hopefully bring people to you. Yeah, exactly. You're going to have to work doing a lot of content probably for free, at least initially. People need to start getting to associate you with this brand. I love the idea Sean had about speaking to certain groups because that really generates followers. Again, you may have to do some of this initially for free for a period of time because you're building it up. You're getting testimonials. So if you're doing things for free, maybe you ask them to write you a referral or make an introduction to somebody else so that you kind of build this. And and consistency will pay off. Targeting an audience with a specific um kind of outcome will pay off because again people want to know that you understand them and I think you can do this while you're working and eventually as you build this following I mean there's a lot of ways to monetize that if you want to make this your your full-time job so that could be paid speaking it could be that you decide to publish a book it could be that you decide to start a podcast and you know you get advertisers so there's a lot of ways that you can you can start monetizing that but I would say if that's your passion and you have a 
background in it and you have a basic network, get started, be consistent, post frequently, look at where your audience is on social media, you know, depending on age or generation, they may be on Instagram, they may be on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. So figure out where that audience is and go big there. And then, um, you know, you'll start to see that audience grow. Teresa, is that helpful? Okay. Uh, yes, and I have one more thing. I am on Instagram right now. Yeah, me too. And, um, yeah, and I am building a following, and, you know, I'm getting the message out. Um, does Instagram, do these, like, does Instagram really help? It's so I mean, interesting how because, powerful is that? you know, <laughs> if you do the research, so, so I got on Instagram when I do this show and I, I need to post more. So that's why I said, yeah, I'm on it too. It's kind of a reminder to myself. Yes, post on Instagram. So Insta- people like Instagram because it's visuals. You can quickly scroll through and um, if you know, depending on what your, you know, quote unquote product or services, Instagram can be fabulous. You know, maybe for cardiology and wellness, um, you would use it, for example, to post quotes that are about positivity or peacefulness or calmness. And that could be a great way to to get your message yeah. out without, you know, getting into a lot of deep content. So I think Instagram could be a really great way for you to do that. Um, if, if you go that route, for example, whereas Twitter might be something that you advertise your speaking engagements or you say, hey, here, check out my new post that I just posted on LinkedIn or whatever. So I, I do think it's important to engage across different social media because you're going to capture different audiences who have a propensity to like, you know, either quick visuals or, um, you know, more in-depth content. So you kind of have to explore that with your industry and see where their tastes come from. But I do think it's important to to look across and make sure you're identifying where your audience is, Teresa. Thank you so uh, thank much you so for much. calling us and um, for giving us your website. It sounds like you're doing great things in the world. And I think you are going to help a lot of people you likely already have. So thank you for calling us and Dr. Dawn on Careers. We we really enjoyed talking to you about this and wish you all the best. Hey, 844-942-7866. You're listening to SiriusXM 132. And we are super excited to have a special guest on the show. Sean Burke is here and he's the co-host of Help Wanted, which is on Tuesdays at noon Eastern. Sean, what is Help Wanted about? Tell us. Help Wanted is about talking about how to get through workplace conflicts. So we do a bunch of things on the show. First, we have some guests who from time to time may have written books on the subject or have expertise on particular aspects of workplace conflict. And we invite them into the show and we talk about their work and how it could help our listeners navigate workplace conflicts of their own, whether it's with colleagues or supervisors a desire to ask for a raise or how to figure out a problem that you've been having with a coworker for a long time. And then we also, as you do, take callers and we we go through a lot of situations that our listeners write into us and describe and we go through advice. And we have two different perspectives on the show. So the uh, primary host is Dr. Jody Foster. Mm-hmm. She's a psychiatrist and she's been at Pennsylvania Hospital for gosh, I think thirty years, and she's been on this show. As and a she's guest. been on your show a number of times. She has is, a great book. She has a great book out called uh, "The Schmuck in My Office," where she talks about the different types of personalities that can cause difficulties and how do you um, maneuver around that, uh, accommodate that, or try to reshape those different personality conflicts. Um, and then I'm with her, and I offer a bit of a legal perspective as well as just you know my own idiosyncratic thoughts about what to do with these situations. And um, yeah, so we, we welcome any uh, listeners to write into us or call us on the show. Yeah, so if you tend to be in your car traveling at noon Eastern or if it's your lunch break right? Um, and you listen to this show, well, guess right. what? Now I have on the same channel, 132. That's right. If you're stuck on the L.A. freeway, we've had many callers <laughs> that have been in that situation. Yeah, you can give them a call, 844-942-7866. We have the same phone number. So that's awesome. So, so Sean... Um, Right before we went to a call, we were talking about uh, legal questions and how hiring managers aren't necessarily trained. And I wanted to give some advice to our listeners about how to handle them. And and personally, I think the worst way to handle it is saying, hey, that's an illegal question and it's none of your business, five kids. (laughs) Because what we talk about is the the interview... You know, by the time you get to the interview, chances are you have the foundational skills to do the job. And now you're building a relationship. Yes, you want to be prepared. You want to come um, ready to relay the value you bring. But this is about building a relationship. So, so bam, if, if somebody says that, 
the last thing I want to do is have this person back in my office because I realize, hey, I made a mistake and this person's right. already upset. I mean, so, so we're kind of done here. Right. No, it, it, it's so there's there's a belief that there exists a set of questions that are illegal to ask in an interview. There actually is a small subset of questions that are technically illegal, but most of the questions are not themselves per se illegal. Rather, the issue is that those questions would elicit information that cannot be used lawfully in a selection process. And so from the perspective of the employer, you don't want to, uh, you don't want to ask those questions because that will end up getting information that you can only misuse, that you cannot productively use. If you're hearing those questions, I, I would my own advice to someone who's sitting in an interview and is asked a question like, are you married? Do you have children? would be to deflect or briefly answer and then quickly circle back to a key message. Mm -hmm. And hopefully someone who's well prepared for an interview has a list of bullet point talking points that they have identified as key messages, which they want to use to sell themselves to the employer. And it's important, I think, to be responsive to a question when asked in an interview, in a press conference, in all kinds of different settings. But then fairly quickly, smoothly, hopefully, circle back to a key message. Yeah, love that. Love that. I, I'm always of the assume positive intent because, right. again, hiring managers have not necessarily been trained. And that's not saying it's an excuse, but but if you, you kind of do exactly what you say and say, you know, I think you actually may be concerned about my ability to travel. And I can assure you that I'm, you know, I'm free to that's travel. Yeah. That, so that's exactly the right way to do it. So if you get a question, first of all, you may get a question that is technically an inappropriate question, but is perfectly natural and might have just popped up in the mm -hmm. flow of conversation where the interviewer mm -hmm. asks it out of it inadvertence mm -hmm. because that person is a human being and is interested in forming a social connection with you. So it's, oh, do you have kids or where do you live? And you might answer that question. You could deflect it if you prefer not to answer that question, if that's a sensitive topic for you. But if you're the kind of person that talks a lot about your kids, why not just answer that and say, oh, I have two kids. They're wonderful. They're in school. And um, we have a great relationship. I've always been able to do my job and, yep. and you know, take care of my family and parenting responsibilities at the same time. It's been wonderful. I have a very supportive family. And in my last three jobs, I've done traveling, I've done, you know, international work or work in the West Coast, et cetera, et cetera, whatever the specific facts may be. But if you can do both of those things, I think you've really hit the ball on yep. the uh, Spot on. And, I, the and the reason I like your answer is because we, we always talk about on Dr. Don on Cruise, always bring it back to the value add. Right. To the, it doesn't matter if they're asking about your greatest weakness or time you failed. Always bring it back to whether what you've learned is going to make you better in the right. job. So always right. loop back. Always loop back. Don't assume the hiring manager is going to take that extra mental step to close the loop. And if yeah. you're the one closing the loop, you will inevitably stand out as a candidate. I guarantee it. 844 right. Seven eight six six, and the fact is, Sean, if they, if, if you as a candidate bring up something that would be on the illegal list, if you start talking about your kids, then you know you brought it up, so yeah, so they're you, it, free and, to talk about. And it, it might happen. Yes, it, it it might happen, and you know, it's probably a good idea not to bring that up voluntarily because someone who has been trained and might overreact to that, and all and, and all of a sudden their eyes open wide and they think, my gosh, I've ventured into territory that I shouldn't have stepped into, and we need to immediately reroute uh, the interview. So you need to be natural and go with the flow. You probably don't want to bring up those subjects voluntarily. Um, but again, I think the good advice is to circle back to your key points. I will say one slight qualification to that. Yeah. And this please. is purely anecdote personal experience. Yeah. If the question is, describe for us one of your weaknesses, I think you do. I guess my advice is the same, but I need to clarify. You want to be responsive and then circle back totally to agree. key messages. But don't dodge that question by saying totally something agree. like, I'm a perfectionist. Yeah, no. This is what... <laughs> it, there, <laughs> there is a tendency... That's my professional response. Bleh. Right. Yeah. There is a tendency some people have to go for the humble brag in yes. that scenario. I'm a perfectionist or I work too hard. I don't know. say those things. Be honest about what your <laughs> flaws are. Do you have a messy desk? I have a messy desk, but I've really tried to focus on managing my calendar and my file system or whatever it is that you're using to... Um, Adjust. I'm so glad you clarified that. Yeah, because as <laughs> as a somebody who has been a recruiter in the past and has hired people, I 
for a time, I used to ask that question this way. Give me, you know, something you consider to be a weakness, but you can't use these two. And then I got even uh-huh. smarter, Sean. I said, here's the job description. And pick pick the thing on here that you're you're not going to be the strongest at. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. That's a good question. Yeah. Because it, it I mean it's so good because it relates to the job description. No one will ever be able to tell you that this question is not job related. It mm-hmm. is literally job related. Mm-hmm. It's on the it's on paper. And you're asking them to react to that. So you're testing their ability to think spontaneously and quickly and you're also testing hopefully their credibility. And their thoughtfulness. That's a really good question. Yeah, people hated interviewing with me, but <laughs> but we got good information. And I think the other part of your point is this: is to pick something that's not related to the core of the job. So if if right. if your core of your job is going to be presenting every day, you don't want to say I'm you know I, I can't talk in front of people. That that would be no. Pick something that is. <laughs> Um, Skill-based, you also don't want to pick a personality characteristic because, as we know, it's easier to improve skills than personality. So, you know, I have anger management issues, but I'm working on that. (laughs) Probably not the best answer. Certainly not in 2020. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But maybe it's a computer program. You know, I I don't, you know, I haven't used a particular computer system that you guys used here but in my last job I you know had to get up to speed quickly on the three systems because the person who I replaced left before I got there and I was able to reach out to the that's good um, yeah the company and, and blah 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 you get you get our point but the fact is chances are you will be asked that question in some form or fashion and if you say you're a perfectionist or I work too hard, that that is just the wrong no. answer. I rarely right. say this on air. It's the wrong answer. Eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. You're listening to Doctor Dawn on Careers. We have Sean Burke here, who is the co-host of the show Help Wanted, which is also on Sirius XM one thirty two noon on Tuesdays. And we're going to go back to the phones with Isaac in Washington D.C. What's on your mind today, Isaac? Hello, Doctor Dawn. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm great. Great. I like your show. I listen to you guys. Once I was listening listen to you guys regularly. Thank you. So I had a phone interview not too long about a month ago, not too long ago, and a person called and scheduled for the interview and gave me time, and I waited and she waited, waited. She was almost about more than half an hour late. Mm-hmm. And then during the during the interview, she was kind of speaking so fast, rushy, and I was saying, my, so I keep, I have to keep on saying, sorry, excuse me, what are you saying? What do you mean? Can you repeat what you are saying again? And I was a little bit confused. Why was he so rushy? Was he rushing to go to his or her, her, her next appointment or what's the touches? I was a little bit confused. So yeah, so it sounds like it didn't really go very well. So so let's talk about phone interviews in general. Most most interview processes start with a phone screen to make sure that you're in the general salary ballpark. You have the basic skills to do the job. You're open to moving if it's if it's relocation, whatever those basic qualifications are. So they're usually relatively short and. I'll tell you this, Isaac, being on the phone is way harder than being in person oh because, gosh, yes. y- yeah, you lose a lot of that nonverbal. And so and so it's difficult because you may not understand the question. You lose the context of the nonverbals. You're not sure if they're tracking with you or if they're multitasking. So I will tell you, phone interviews by design are just difficult. What sounds like happened in your case is that they were running late. And so maybe they were trying to rush you through to get to the next one. I mean, and the, the challenge with these things is we'll never know. So we can speculate, speculate, speculate. But I'm, I'm, my next question to you is, have you heard from them? No, I haven't heard, but I don't think it's fair on my side. Because even though I'm looking for a job, I'm coming to work for you. You do have to respect my time, too. Yeah. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. It's often, oftentimes, I feel like employees think that they can just, because somebody's looking for a job, they can abuse the person. No. Isaac, you listen yeah, to my show a lot, I can tell, because I this is my soapbox. I totally agree with you that recruiting is unfair, it's biased, it's not linear, it's not rational, and I have a whole chapter in my book called It's Not Fair for all the things you are saying, and you are absolutely not given a fair shot. Um, I I regret that because, you know, it... it might have been something that led to a good opportunity. But I think in this case, you might have to let that go and move on to the next one, because clearly this is a company that you may not want to work for because of the way if they're treating you this way in the interview, Isaac, think about how they'll treat you when you're an employer, when you're an employee, because they're supposed to be courting you now. Right. 
So, right. I, you know, I, I would say that the other possibility is that this particular recruiter was just having a terrible day or um, was behind on things or maybe actually is just not a very good employee herself by chance. We should allow for that possibility and the company might be a good one. And it really is unfair that you were not only made to wait, but also that this uh, interview was handled so poorly. I think my advice, if I can offer some advice on this, would be see what you can take out of this situation to prepare yourself for the next one. Maybe it's even just a tiny bit of technical advice. If there's some challenge with phone interviews, make sure you have a really good pair of headphones so you can hear everything. In my own case, I don't hear perfectly, so I try to make sure that I can really hear well on my phone with the device. Um, But hopefully you can take something out of that experience so you're ready for the next one. It's probably not going to work out with this company, and it's not your fault. It's the other person who botched up the interview, but maybe you can get yourself in really good shape for the next opportunity. Yeah, I love that, Sean. And, and you know, in this case, Isaac, again, we're not going to go back and, and make guesses, but if, if they were a half hour late and they came on and it felt rushed, I mean, know that as a candidate, you, you're looking at this as a mutual discussion. So I think right. it's okay to say, you know, can, is should we reschedule? Is there a better time? And, and be flexible that way because, like Sean said, if this recruiter was just having the worst day of their life, it doesn't matter if you're the best candidate in the world. You're, I, I did recruiting when I was when I was a long, long time ago um, when I was like 22 and this was one of my first jobs and I, I used to take the resumes home, Isaac, and, and go through them as I was watching Friends or something on TV. And trust me, if there's a good portion of the show going on and I was reading your resume, you got overlooked because I wasn't paying attention. And I tell you these true confessions on this show because at 21, 22, I didn't realize what was happening. I just right. wanted to please my hiring manager and make sure that they had who they want. But but it's, it's unfortunate. We don't know who um, is asking the questions. We don't know how well-trained they are. We don't know what else is going on in their lives. And it is unfair. And you were clearly treated unfairly. But at this point, I would say dust yourself off. Recognize it wasn't you. Learn from it and go to the next employer because you've got a lot to offer. And we want to see you land a great job, Isaac. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for giving us a call here on Dr. Dawn on Careers, 844-942-7866. Dion, I think it's time for our pre-break quiz. quiz. There's a quiz? Yep, our weekly dose of trivia that'll make you slightly more interesting in any networking event or not. Um, basing, basing, okay, Dion, you have to listen to the qualifier. Basing oh your, I know, basing your answer on popularity in terms of worldwide production. Uh, okay. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> no, it's not as hard as you think. It's just there's a twist as always, like my pre-break quiz questions have a twist. What is the world's most favorite fruit? The world's most favorite fruit based on production. Hint, there are more than 20,000 different varieties, which I know is not a hint at all. Um, 844-942-7866. If you want to challenge Dion to the answer, you can always give us a call, Dr. Dawn on Careers. But stay tuned because, as always, in part two, we have our speed round coming up and we're taking your calls all hour here at 844-942-7866. And before we go, we have to also thank our special guest, Sean Burke, who hosts a show called help wanted tuesdays at noon eastern with co-host dr jody foster check it out i've listened several times and if you like dr dawn on careers you will also like help wanted thank you so much for being here sean we've really appreciated it dr dawn thank you very much for having me it's been a great conversation and uh, we look forward to more time with you and, and hearing from your listeners as well on our show fantastic all right you're listening to dr dawn on careers sirius xm 132 we'll be right back You're listening to Dr. Dawn on Careers on Business Radio. Welcome back to Dr. Dawn on Career Series XM 132. If it's Thursday, noon Eastern, we're live. Take your calls right now, 844-942-7866. Dr. Dawn on Career is your personal career coach, and we are going to go right to the phones with Justin in Washington, D.C. Justin, welcome to Dr. Dawn on Careers. What's on your mind today? Hey, Dr. Dawn. I first just want to thank you. Um, I listen to you all the time. I'm a Thank recruiting you. manager, so I have a lot of recruiters that work for me, and I do a lot of recruiting still hands-on myself. So I really benefit a lot from just listening and 
hearing your advice and taking that, taking some of that advice, synthesizing it, and then providing it to my team. So I just really appreciate everything you do. Well, thank you. Um, and we love when recruiters call because um, you guys offer great advice to our listeners as well. So, so thank you so much for listening and also for giving us a call. Of course. So my question is, it's pertaining to kind of emerging tech in our space. And we talk you know, about resume writing and, and some of that, but it's more about, you know, AI and predictive analytics doing a lot of the kind of pre-screening and vetting. And so my question is, you know, you just gave advice to the other person. And I know for us, you know, we do some of the screening, but then we have bots and AI and, you know, different predictive analytics doing screening. So what advice do you give for us as recruiters and also candidates to kind of cater the resume or should they have two resumes for SEO and AI versus like a human eye, because what my recruiters may be looking for may be different than whatever the algorithm uh, it has been programmed to look for. And so, you know, this gets into ethics of the algorithm, the algorithms themselves. And, you know, are they, in a, are they screening out, you know, women or minorities mm-hmm. or people of a certain age based on certain criteria. So there's more to this, but, I, you know, I'm just wondering your thoughts on that and also recommendations like we can give to candidates, but also on the other end, I can give to my recruiters because we'll get spit back resumes from bots, right? Are we vetting correctly? Yeah. Um, so it, it goes both ways, right? There's and a I just lot. Do what's right. I want to do what's right and ethical and also um, want to give proper advice to candidates too in the market. Yeah. Well, first off, thank you for bringing up that question, Justin, because there's so much to unpack in that. And I think, you know, technology does a lot of great things, but in some ways, I think we've we've come to over rely on it for other things. And, you know, we, we take the common sense out and we just go with what the technology says. And that's not always the best case, especially when it comes to hiring. So you asked a couple of questions related to both how should recruiters look at it and how should candidates look at it. So my first thought on Um, using an applicant tracking system is you kind of have to know what the pros and cons are. If you're going to employ something that's going to read resumes and make decisions, you have to recognize what its capabilities are. Is it discriminating based on on things that are even a non-issue, like how how a a resume is formatted? Um, Is it, as you mentioned, discriminating disproportionately because it's learning as it goes? And we know Amazon had that challenge before that it learned that its AI had been discriminating disproportionately against women and you know they didn't learn that till after the case so I I think that was kind of what you're referring to and you have to recognize that the people programming these applicant tracking systems are humans and humans are by nature biased so so we whether consciously or not are programming them with this bias in mind and so that can lead to other challenges. So I think I think I'm not saying scrap them all together because they can be a helpful tool, but I think you need to go in knowing that they're not infallible, they're not perfect, and there's going to be some candidates that are great that you're going to lose because the system kicks them out for one reason or another and there's probably going to be some that get through that probably shouldn't. So so it can be a tool, but it shouldn't be the only tool. We know that applicant tracking systems kick out about 75% of resumes before they even get to humans. And so so, so if you're a candidate, your question about should you write for the robot and write for the human, um, my answer to that is yes. And I will go back to the fact that I would prefer people to engage networking as their primary strategy versus going through the online application process as their primary strategy. Because what we know about the online jobs is some of them are not real. Maybe they've already been filled. Maybe there's an internal candidate already pre-selected, but you're going to have to go through all the hoops to interview when you never had a shot. So I think there's a lot of garbage out there online. I'm not saying all of it, and so I'm not saying totally abandon that as a strategy, but 
if you're making it your primary strategy, you're probably going to be getting your hopes up just to have them dashed, you know, the next day. So so if you are applying online and you're not sure if you're getting weeded out by the applicant tracking system, um, first off, you can write the resume for the machine. You can use the keywords. You can look at what the job description says. Chances are if it asks for five years of marketing, it's going to be scanning for that on your resume. So, yeah, you can write for the robot and then have a separate brief resume for the human when you go in for the interview. But even even beyond that, I would say try to find somebody in the organization who, you know, it doesn't have to be first level contact. Maybe it's a friend of a friend. Maybe it's somebody who's a second level contact on LinkedIn who works at that company. Doesn't have to be that department. Doesn't have to be um, the hiring manager, but work anywhere in that company to see if they can shepherd your resume to the human, your human resume to a human so that you at least get considered. You at least know you're getting looked at because I can't tell you, Justin, I know you've seen this before too, how many very highly qualified candidates are applying to jobs that they're they're ideal for in terms of you know paper and application, mm-hmm. but their their yep. their hopes are dashed because they never even get looked at. And I know you know that. Correct. So yeah. and so the profile too is something you know because now more of the applications are just uploading your LinkedIn profile. Well, if that profile isn't robust, and you're serving up the profile as a means to you know to getting vetted for that role. Some people, you know, I put a lot of time in my profile, but mm-hmm. I'm a recruiter, right? So I think that's one thing is, if, you know, really updating your social presence. And if you're going to be applying with a profile, I totally agree with the, the networking. But part of that networking is, you know, I'm going to look at you on your LinkedIn. And that may be like the first place I go if you're trying to network in with me or my colleagues to help shepherd that process. Mm -hmm. And if you have a very sparse social presence or footprint and and your profile is really minuscule and isn't updated, that's going to play into, you know, I I can't gauge all of your experience from the LinkedIn, right or wrong, and I may just not have the bandwidth to dig into that. It's so so true. It's so true. That's part of it as well, right? And Um, and we know that more and more companies are doing passive hiring because it's less expensive. They can pick and choose their candidates from LinkedIn and not have to go through and spend the time and resources to to review 200, 300 resumes. So when you look at a passive candidate hiring strategy, what happens is is that they are looking at your LinkedIn. And if you're not um, on LinkedIn and active and if you haven't tended to your profile and made sure that it has the keywords and that it's aspirational in nature and that you've you've gotten your contacts up and all of these things and you're not getting chosen, which is, again, another thing that people need to understand and why networking is so powerful. And the, the last thing I want to say, Justin, that we didn't touch on, but one reason that I'm... So, can, per- I, yeah. can I touch on one thing about what you just said? Yeah. Well, guess who's vetting some of those profiles? It's, it's an, also an algorithm now. Yeah, it's I believe tough. it. So it's like... So it's like not only do you need to cater that resume, mm-hmm. I totally agree with the networking, but like if these bots are constantly scraping and we use these things too, you know, constantly stream from all different social footprints, LinkedIn being primary, but Facebook and others, you know, you need to have a professional footprint out there on that and make sure it has the right keywords and the right um, structure. And they're even doing, you know, behavioral analysis, social analytics on what you're posting and things like that. So you got to be cognizant of these things um, as a, you know, as a candidate. Right? Yeah. And again, um, this is something yeah. that you can definitely beat with networking because I guarantee you that, I mean, the statistics are very strong. Even if you get 300 or your bot clicks, 300 perfect candidates from from LinkedIn or wherever it's collecting them from, somebody introduces you to somebody who has, you know, some of the skills maybe half the skills, but is trusted, is referred by somebody you trust, that person's getting a shot and that person's getting a good shot. The other thing I don't like about these bots um, and and all of the AI that's coming out that hasn't quite gotten there, maybe it will, but is that it really does discriminate against switchers. And obviously I'm a big proponent of switchers and I think they are going to become the new normal as the market changes, as industries emerge, as you know, as all of these things are happening. And, and it's just unfortunate that somebody who doesn't have that five years of marketing experience 
may not get through your system, but may be an ideal candidate because they have some kind of unique set of qualifications that make them a great fit for the role. So this is another reason why I coach people to try and go around these systems because what ends up happening, Justin, and I'm sure you've seen this too with the people you coach, is that people start to believe they can't do it or that they're not qualified or that you know there's something wrong with them when in fact there is some robot looking for some set of of specific words that's determining this person isn't even worth getting looked at. So we're seeing this, right? And I see that and they get disheartened and it's 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 not fair. And I also agree that there's intangibles. We're, we're humans. We're dynamic. We're not uh, binary. So when you see, um, you know, somebody getting spit back because they have four and a half years of marketing, well, they might have creative writing and have done theater and, you know, took a Udacity digital marketing course. And they bring so many other things to the table that somebody with exactly the five years, but it's just a cookie cutter for your keyword spit out from your mm-hmm. bot. You know, you need to look beyond that. And I totally agree with you, although I see that time and time again. Right. So, yeah. We want a quick, um, cheap, fast answer. And I think this is why there's this this, you know, we the market's in, in favor of the job seeker, but companies are still saying they can't find qualified talent or that there's there's competition or a fight for, for great talent. But the fact is, is this is this because that's really true or is this because of how we're trying to rely on technology to funnel in eight hundred thousand resumes, go through them and find the perfect candidate versus investing the time, money and resources in going out and and meeting people and going to industry events and doing active recruiting. And I recognize there's a cost to that, but companies are constantly saying that people are our greatest asset. Yet when you look at the budget dollars that are sunk into this area, it doesn't reflect that, Justin. Well, well, I think that brings me, like when I say I'm a recruiting manager, more specifically, I'm a sourcing manager. So I manage a team of sourcers and all we do is passive talent search. So I am completely in agreement with what you're saying. Uh, you know, we're the, the funnel, right? The back end of, of the full life cycle process. So what our team does is go is does exactly that. And I think more resources and doing, you know, building those connections and going to events and, and getting out there and networking is really important. So definitely agree with you and really appreciate your time and answering my questions. Yeah, I really enjoyed talking Many, to you, Justin. Thank you. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate it. This was a good conversation. I think it was really helpful too to people who are not in our world seeing what's going on behind the scenes. And I think that's exactly what we try and do here on Dr. Dawn on Careers is is give people kind of a look behind the curtains so that they can arm themselves with a strategy to get around these unfair practices because they exist, you know, they do. And and to find a way to to get in front of the decision makers and have a fair shot. And that's that's exactly what we're here for every single week on SiriusXM 132. So this conversation completely highlighted that. So thank you, Justin. And thank you for tuning in every week. We we really do appreciate that. Hey, 844-942-7866. You're listening to Dr. Dawn on careers. And if you missed it, last week we spoke about how unexpected detours can actually catapult your career. So maybe you accepted a role that turned out to be a mistake or tried your hand at honor entrepreneurship, but it didn't work out. But these actually can be fantastic opportunities to catapult your value in the market. And on last week's show, I shared exactly how to do it. If you missed it, don't worry. We podcast all of our shows on iTunes and Google Play under Dr. Dawn on Career. So if you subscribe, then you won't miss another episode. Dion, what are you thinking? You're thinking we should answer this pre-break quiz? I got a question first. Okay. How did the Jersey accent not come up in the first segment? Is it coming out? No. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, you, you've you got rid of your Jersey accent except that, that one time. I know. It does. It comes out. <laughs> How did that not come up? Um, you're right. You're right. It hasn't come up. I, I do have a Jersey accent, which I've worked very hard to to neutralize <laughs> because when I when I speak that way, I think it's really difficult for people to, to really understand what I'm saying. 
<laughs> at times. <laughs> at times. <laughs> but you guys sure sure make fun of me. But hey, I am a Jersey girl, proud of it. So every All now Jersey and, girls are. Yeah. Uh, oh, I am a, too. I'm Jersey girl too. See? See? <laughs> every now and again, you'll hear me say August or Jaws <laughs> or Laundry. It'll come out. Jaws is great. Jaws. Yeah. And I know you'll make fun of me, but that's okay. I own it. I own it. And <laughs> I wish they could see you right now. <laughs> Yeah, and it's really not a good idea to make fun of me before the pre-break quiz. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> <laughs> um, so basing on, on the popularity of worldwide production, what's the most favorite fruit in the world? That's worded terribly. I know. Uh, <laughs> I, well, you can count on that for me. I'm consistent anyway. I'm going to say grapes. Ooh. Oh, Dana was going to say grapes. Because, I was almost going to say grapes. Be, because, like, Wine basically is why I'm saying. Oh, grapes. that's a good reason. Actually, oh, you're you're surprised, which means I'm wrong. Yeah, you're wrong, <laughs> but I like that reasoning. That actually makes a lot of sense. That does, and and, yeah. and if you consider, I had, I had time to think about it. Thanks, Justin. Yeah, <laughs> if you consider each little grape as you know individual. Dana, do you have an answer? Um, I'm thinking bananas. You know that that is a popular answer. Um, it's actually um. Low in calories, rich in vitamin C, potassium, and lycopene. When asked the world's favorite fruit, the tomato, maybe. <laughs> not really? what Yeah, not what comes to mind, but it is a fruit, and more tomatoes are produced globally than any other fruit. Cooked raw as a sauce, juice, paste, the tomato is incredibly popular. I feel like I'm a commercial for and, and a you, tomato. And, and you said there were, there were how many, how many, you said 20,000 varieties? There are, and at least 170 million tons are produced every year, so the banana. Ketchup. The ketchup. Ketchup. Pizza, tomato sauce. That's well, ketchup. Yeah, I, I mean, mean that that's that's pizza. Oh, oh, ketchup is not on pizza. I don't even know where you're going with that. Yeah, I I got mixed up. The mighty banana <laughs> over a hundred tons. So that was close, Dana. Um, anyway, there you go. <laughs> I actually have a lot of tomato facts that I pulled up because I was afraid you're going to ask me more questions, but but you haven't, so I'm going to just skip those. <laughs> and if you really would like the tomato facts, you can you can hit me up. I don't on, even know what I would ask about tomatoes. Uh, I don't either, but you know, sometimes you do ask me a follow up, and I well, wanted to be true. ready. Hey, you're listening to Dr. Dawn on careers, and if you want more information on tomatoes, I actually have it. <laughs> so. <laughs> The largest tomato ever grown weighed uh, nearly four kilograms. So there you go. How, how much is that in pounds? Uh, oh, God. <laughs> God. Come on. Come on. Come on. This is the U.S. We don't, we don't learn that. Which is why I asked. I know. I don't know. I know. Me either. Um, all right. So we have to get to our speed round. So should you pit a job offer to secure in internal razor promotions. Well, research shows that that's probably not the best thing to do because 70 to 80% of people who accept counter offers from their company either wind up leaving or let go within the year anyway. So if you're trying to do this as a strategy, here are some things to consider before you pit a job offer to secure an internal raise. Recognize that your employer will no longer consider you part of the inner circle or trusted confidants. I mean, you've just basically put on the table what is a, a threat of sorts, so you could damage your relationships. Um, recognize that you should be prepared to leave because they actually may not counter. So if it's a bluff, it could actually back backfire on you. And you may lose a little bit of respect because the company may not be happy at all that you're using this as a strategy to get a raise or a promotion. But if you want to know how you may be able to get a raise or a promotion without putting another offer against them, you can check out my blog on Dr. Dawn on Careers because I write about this topic and many, many others so that you can have the best career and make as much money as you deserve. So there you go. You've been listening to Dr. Dawn on Career, Sirius XM 132. I want to say thank you to Sean Burke, who is on in the first half of the show. If you missed it, you can find it on Dr. Dawn on Careers, which is on iTunes and Google Play. And, of course, all of our listeners and callers, Dana and Dion, and all of the tomatoes in the world. 8.8 we... .8 pounds. Oh, thank you. 8.8 .8 pounds, in case you wanted to translate how many pounds that was. Um, and there you go. If you're just tuning in, you missed it. But we will be back next week taking all of your questions on Dr. Don on Career. So we'll see you next time.
For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.